1: Alan Parker said, sometimes, with the British film industry, it's hard to know if we're waving or drowning. Let's find out. Welcome to another BritFlist.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today I've got with me Mark Forstetter. Hello, Mark.
2: Hello, Stuart. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing very well. I'm doing very well. Um, Mark's on the show because... um, He's is, is a film producer of note, and no note in terms of uh, for, for horror fans of uh, a very special uh, UK sci-fi horror called Extra. That's obviously not the only work you've done, Mark, but this is this yeah. is why this is <laughs> why we're coming together for this chat. Um, yeah. People may well know Monty Python and the Life of Brian, for example. Well, holy holy grail, grail, Holy Grail, grail. Sorry. Holy grail yeah. sorry. And more recently, <clears throat> um, Prescient was a feature film, wasn't it? That you were involved with.
2: Um, I'm not sure. That sounds um, that doesn't sound like one of my titles.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, look. Let's let's we're, we're, You're celebrating the 35th anniversary of the I guess the American release because it kind of was end of '82 in in Britain and then beginning of '83 in America of of extra with a special Blu-ray. Um, but before we talk about what's on the Blu-ray, for those that haven't seen extra. Is it possible to give this, this film a brief synopsis as to what it's about?
2: Um, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, what it's about is, is not um, as interesting as how it goes about what it's doing. Mm. Because, uh, I mean, the story is about um, a man who uh, is abducted by aliens mm-hmm. and three years later comes back to his family. Uh, we don't quite know why, but we realise that, in fact, he wants to bring his son uh, back with him to uh, Alien Land, and uh, so that that's the that's the that's what's happening in, in the film. But it's the uh, the special effects and the way that um, the son responds to uh, his father making him into an alien that uh, is very very um, weird, uh, strange, uh, unusual, uh, disarming, and has made people kind of watch the film, uh, you know, with uh, amazement, it, it, it has a very strange atmosphere, um, a strange sense of humor. And it's unlike any other film that's ever been made. It's, it's one of those classic B movies that just carves out its own um, kind of path. And there's very few films like it. That's why I think uh, people like it. it is very original.
1: Without a shadow of a doubt, and and it's one that has lasted long in my memory from my my youth of uh, when I got it from the video shop in my my North Manchester town when when it, when it was on release and the um the the special effects and 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 the the sheer horror of it is is amazing and it's it it's, it's your you, your film was touched touched by the the critical hand of Roger Ebert who who uh, who who would give it a bit of a savaging but. Um, but obviously, over the life of the film, you've kind of had the last laugh because the film has sort of become a love loved cult classic due to the amazing special effects and, and the kind of bonkers storyline, which, I mean, having re-watched it, it's it's not as bonkers as I thought it was going to be. I mean, it, it's it is a little crazy, but it hangs together on the idea of someone returning from a spaceship.
2: Yeah, no, no, it's it's not that it's not that crazy. It's just that the um the over the other elements kind of tend to overwhelm the story. Um, I mean, when you say, you know, um, the popularity of it, what's what's very interesting about it is that, as you say, when the film came out, the critics said, you know, who gave these people the money to make this uh, piece of rubbish? And Roger Ebert says gives filmmaking a bad name and stuff like this. I mean, it was it was really savage by most of the critics. But the people who went to see it, who were, say, 13, 14, 15, and 16 at the time, hmm. um, have stayed fans and remember it with uh, great fondness. But at the same time, around um, 2003 or 2004, I suddenly found that they were getting, we were getting all these reviews on IMDb, okay. uh, who had discovered the film. And these were young. These were people who were 20 years old and, you know, they hadn't even never, never knew the film existed. But when they found it, they said, no one's making films like this anymore. This is an incredible movie. I mean, you know, the lavish, lavish praise. It's quite incredible. I mean, there are some people who can't stand the film, but generally we found that, you know, a lot of people discover it and and give it a really interesting, uh, you know, interesting take. So just,
1: just before we go into more details, then, so, so it's going to get a special edition Blu-ray 35th anniversary, and that's, that's due for release when?
2: Uh, it's, it's going to be released on, I think, July the 2nd now. Okay. Uh, you see, the history of the film in terms of the, the uh, releases is that um, when we made the film originally, 81, mm-hmm. uh, it was a co-production with uh, New Line Cinema. Yeah. Uh, New Line put up half the money, we raised half in the U.K., And then uh, when it came out, it was distributed um, theatrically here first. And it didn't do as well as we'd hoped because it had, um, um, well, again, the critical thing didn't help. And also um, there were other horror films coming out at the same time that that took up more space and, and did better. But in the U.S. it did extremely well. And it went to number five on the variety chart. And um, That's actually, amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. It, <laughs> kept, it kept New Line Cinema uh, in business wow. uh, until Nightmare on Elm Street came along because New Line was actually fa- failing. They were running out of money. Mm. And, um, and extro managed to do well enough to uh, help them pay their bills until Nightmare on Elm Street came along and suddenly they were, you know, uh, a big deal. Mm. So, so then the film came out eventually on VHS, uh, it came out on DVD. It then came out on some compilation DVDs like Extra 1 and Extra 2.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, I just have to say that I made Extra with the director, Harry Bromley Davenport. And after its success, he was asked by some Canadian producers, would he make another one, Extra 2? And he he asked me if I was wanted one to be involved. I said, not really. But I was happy for him to go ahead and do it. So he went on and do Extra 2. An extra 3 which are not really connected to the original extra and are uh, a lot unfortunately poor but um, we never got a blu-ray out and so suddenly to be able to get a blu-ray out which we just done uh, this year is really incredible and uh, we're very happy that it's it's gonna I think be good for fans who want to see it in in a you know new new version good quality and also um, the distributors put together a whole bunch of new featurettes about the film, which I think are really comprehensive and uh, are very uh, impressive.
1: And it's also getting a big screen thing. I'm speaking to you on Saturday the 26th of May and on the 4th of June, you're going to be attending a Q&A screening of Extro at the Institute of Light.
2: Yeah, and also uh, last night it was shown at the Prince Charles Cinema, which oh, was really? the first, yeah the first theatrical screening since 1982, I think. That's amazing. Uh, and uh, we've got a fright fest screening coming up, I think tomorrow. So um, tomorrow, Sunday uh, or Monday, the film is, is coming out theatrically in in small cinemas, which is really uh, also very nice to see happen.
1: Could, could, could you, I mean, it, it's hard to think that you could, but could you imagine this film having such a life?
2: No, we never we never, it never thought it would. And in fact, it caught us by surprise. And I think, you know, we didn't, I don't think we really knew what we were making because the response of the audience is not what we were expecting to have in a funny way. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, um how I got by, I, let me just say how I got involved in, in the film. I was introduced to Harry Davenport mm-hmm. by a writer friend who uh, met him and, and said, "You know, he's made a little film of his own. You know, would you like to come and see it?" So Harry had his own uh, cinema in his uh, flat in uh, in London, a little uh, uh, 35 millimeter projection suite there. So he he showed me uh, this film he'd made called whispers of fear which was about a 50 minute 35 millimeter black and white movie right and i thought it was extremely well done and i was very impressed with it he financed it out of his own funds and um so we became friends after that and we started talking about doing something together uh and harry um had a good friend michelle parry who unfortunately died a few years ago who was a very big horror fan wrote uh, short stories and I was a big Hammer fan. And he and Harry concocted a uh, a script, which I think was called Monstro. And uh, it had, if I remember, which I don't, it had elements of this screenplay that we eventually (coughs) shot. It wasn't, um, it was a little old-fashioned, you know, and maybe it it pushed more towards a Hammer film than we would have liked to have. Mm. So we went to um, another team of writers um, Robert Smith and Ian Cassie and asked them if if they would work on it with us to kind of bring it to an, a different level and we did that with them and and that was that was ended up being a better script at that point we got new line involved and Bob Shea said to Harry come to New York for a month or two and we can work on the script with you we can tell you what we like what we don't like and we can you know really finalize it Mm. So Harry spent three months in New York uh with at the new line offices. Wow uh, and we and that was the final version. Well it was never a final version, but it was close to a final version of the script, and then uh we decided we could go ahead and, and make it.
1: So so it's more about it was it was literally quite an organic process then in terms of um so there was never a finished project, it was more the fact that you you were interested to work with Harry as a filmmaker and that I that basic idea got attention and then it developed into what we now know as extra.
2: Yeah. And I think, I think the reason why the film has this weird quality to it mm. is that, um, once we had the script from Cassie and Smith and we felt that that was a good structure story and would hold together, uh, new line then threw in all kinds of ideas. Uh, for example, the black Panther at the end of the film was a mm. new line suggestion. Uh, they also asked that the ending, which we shot, be changed. So we have two different endings to the film, yeah. both of which are on the Blu-ray, by the way. Right. You know, and also, uh, but what, what happened was, because we had time, I guess we, we had time to invent new things. So if we would come up with an idea for a scene uh, that we thought would be interesting, impressive, uh, we would incorporate it. So I think that's why the film has this slightly disjointed quality to it but yet as you say it all does hold uh, together and the, the, what, what um, Dennis Atherton who's the number one fan of this film he, he's seen it a hundred times Wow! And, and one of our featurettes is Dennis talking about the film which is very interesting I mean he knows it inside out and backwards but he said one of the really real joys of the film is that you don't know where it's going and you don't know how it's going to get there Unlike most films these days, which are so formulaic that from the first kind of scene of the film, you know how it's going to end. He said with Extra, you have no idea how it's going to get to where it's going to get to or where it's going, which is a, you know, an interesting uh, way to look at a, a movie.
1: Yeah, because it, because it kind of, it flits from, it, it starts off very much like a, with, with a boy with a connection to his missing father. Clearly in the rational world, dad's just left with no explanation. And Mum's got on with life and has a new fella, but the boys convinced Dad's coming back. So when Dad does come back, that creates its own tension, but it it's not obvious where it's going from there. And then when it does start to make its leap into the into the um, into what is put what Dad's purpose is as the person returning from the alien race, um, then it just goes it goes off on its own flight of fantasy, which is wonderful to watch because, like you say, it feels. It feels unpredictable at each stage, but but very plausible in of its own right. I mean, there's very simple stuff, isn't there? Like like his pet snake escaping. That's not particularly absurd. But then, when a life size action man arrives at someone's door, you're kind of like, "Wow, we really are in the realms of fantasy here." <laughs>
2: yeah, that's right, that's right. Well, and actually, when as you say this pet snake uh, going missing isn't much, but then later when it turns up in the old lady's uh, salad. Mm. It's all paid off. You know, it's not like it's random. It's mm. not a random script. It's all works and it, it it all gets paid off, but it gets paid off kind of differently than in most movies. It's 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 that un, as you say, the unpredictable quality, which is really interesting. Now, I'm
1: going to say it's 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 the me- the other thing about the film that obviously has has uh, that's kept people coming back for more and more is it's it's impressively revolting, isn't
2: it? <laughs> well, the the birth. I think the birth scene is a is a pretty famous scene in, yes. in cinema, and uh, yeah, it's it's very, extremely well done, and that's why it's, it is quite revolting. I mean, a fully grown man being born out of a, a woman, uh, you know, that's something. I mean, it really, it, it does it does push back some boundaries. You,
1: your sure. your film was the talk <laughs> of my playground. I can tell you. I can tell you, it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's one of those things. That, I mean, it's it's like 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 many a many a brilliant um and it was almost like when when you revisit it later in life you just hope it's as good as it was and and it's no less effective as an adult watching it, it is it is it is brilliantly done and i think i'm looking through i mean who, who were the main instigators of the of the special effects was it kind of known that the guys you pulled together? Um, I'm looking at names, um, Dave Anderson, Richard Gregory, Raymond Harris, Tony Harris, uh, and John. Ray,
2: Harris, Ray Harris was the chief special effects guy. Okay, and we had a very, very good um, uh, production designer, mm-hmm. uh, who was who who really was uh, visionary, and uh, that's Chris Hobbs. Okay, Chris Hobbs used to work with Derek Jarman. Oh, wow, so he was used to making very imaginative work on very little money. Mm. He's the one who gave us the look of the alien. And, uh, you, you know, also, uh, the, the cocoon. I mean, the cocoon is a beautiful, uh, you know, the woman is, is, is in this cocoon producing eggs. Mm. It's a, it's a really a, a very impressive sight, And just in terms of spectacle, it's really good.
1: No, without a doubt. Yeah.
2: You know, so, so, um, yeah, I think between, um, Harry's Brain, Raymond Harris, and Chris Hobbs, mm. uh, we were able to come up with these uh, these ideas. Um, I think actually the um, uh, the, the soldier, uh, you know, the, the toy soldier becoming big, mm. which is a very funny and horrible scene. Yeah. Um, I think that may have been my idea because I had young children at the time, and so I knew, you know, kids were playing with uh, Action Man. Yeah. So a full-size Action Man. Uh, was an interesting idea and it, it played out you know the actor talk, who did it did it extremely well. in fact, let me just say a word about the actors because I think that 's why the film has this quality uh Philip Sayre and Bernice Steggers were the two leads yeah uh, unfortunately, Philip Sayre died quite young, but both of them are very serious actors who 've played you know really good parts they are they are very good actors, and they were trying very hard to make this um relationship and the family situation are real you know there was a a real story going on a bit of a soap opera but it was a real story Mm. so well that was the base and then above that are all these weird things happening to to this very ordinary kind of family saga and i think that's where the the um the tension comes in that makes this uh, strange film uh it's taken very seriously by the actors who aren't acting like they're in some schlocky horror film they're acting like they're in a a, you know a play
1: well no, it's it's like that classic thing isn't it the the, the characters don't know they're in a horror film and because you've got because you've got people that can that can perform which is obviously the 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 curse of a lot of b movies is that that the people taking the roles can't carry it off these guys obviously have got the chops to do it
2: Mm. yeah exactly exactly and so that works that works in the film's favor
1: so what? What do you? I mean, do you, do you, when you, when, when your, when your special effects and, and production were, were production designer was, was pulling this together, could you see the 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 kind of how this gloopiness and and, and, and revoltingness was gonna was gonna play out on a big screen, as it were, or was it was it all a bit kind of sort of suck it and see, pulling together? No, no, well,
2: I think I think we, um, I think when we saw the the, the footage of mm. the both, of the birth we knew we knew that was going to work that was really you know with philip uh biting the cord and all the all the kind of the bits coming out on the floor i mean you know we knew that was strong that was very effective mm. and uh i think the same thing Most of the effects when we saw them on on screen we knew they worked they were good and uh we felt like we were producing uh something that was really um it was going to shock and was going to was going to reach people. We just didn't know that the atmosphere that was created uh, was as surreal as it was. And that, partly that's down to Harry Davenport's score. Mm. Harry, Harry trained as a classical musician, and he th- he felt he wasn't a good enough pianist to make it uh, on the concert circuit. So he he moved into into movies, right. but he, he still plays piano. Uh, <clears throat> and he decided he would uh, compose the score. And the score has a very creepy quality to it, and it, it grows on you. Oh, it does. It helps to make this uh, strange atmosphere that the, film, the, film, the film's world creates. So I think that's, that's part of it. And we didn't know that until you've mixed the film together and then started showing it to people. But initially, we couldn't see that. I mean, over time, when you look at it again, 30 years later you sense that this is all going on, but it wasn't deliberately done. One, one of
1: the great things about rewatching is, is and, it, and I guess this is where in, in times where we, shot, where we shot on film as opposed to digital and there was no real digital, well, there wasn't digital effects, it was all practical, is that the very clever use of sort of light and dark and, and the edit to achieve, to sort of top and tail the special effects as it were. You know, it's yeah. not. It's not all about showing. It's about. It's about knowing what's going on and knowing enough to be either scared or repulsed or you know whatever. It's not yeah. about just going. Look, here's some horrible thing. Look at it closely. Examine it. You know, it's.
2: Yes, not just uh, the lighting, and also whether you know whether the uh, the the surface of the effect was going to be wet mm. or gooey or dry or you know that that, that had a, a definite visceral quality to mm. what you see. Yeah, and you're right because it is really the effects are being made in front of the camera. Uh, you you have to control all of those things in order to make it uh, effective.
1: One, one, one of my favourite <laughs> moments is I mean obviously the, the the birthing scene is is the kind of I guess the iconic moment of the film. But I think I think equally iconic is is that first introduction of the alien. You know where we see the four legged beast on the, in in the headlights on the road.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a, it's very effective. In fact, uh, it's been it's been on YouTube. Um, people saying alien invasion. There's, a, there's there's real aliens been found. Somebody posted no you know, a, a photo of the alien on the road, and somebody <laughs> said this is another example of aliens who are coming to invade us, and they they took it as real.
1: That must make yeah. your heart, That must make your heart sing.
2: <laughs> the idea <laughs> the idea was that. Um, we wanted to have an alien who was different than um, uh, other aliens. So you know, the the cliche is you know a man in a rubber suit, mm. and you can't get away uh, if you're doing practical effects really from a man in some kind of a suit. So we yeah. decided we wanted to have the um, the alien have a different kind of walk or gait from that from normal, so that he would look strange. Yeah. So, we uh, asked um, Tim Dry, who's tick, who was a mime and dancer, to flip himself over on his back and walk on his hands and, and, and feet, but upside down as it were. It's like a crowd. So, yeah, so that he would have a different kind of uh, movement and that would give us a strange kind of uh, you know way of, of going, mm. which I think I think worked uh, pretty well. That, that's, that's how we managed to make it look different than just a guy you know in a suit
1: I mean and, and also I mean there, obviously there are many shots from from outside of the sort of tenement block but but, it, but but extra really sort of complies with quite a few of the the basic rules of keeping a film contained it really a lot of what happens is within a apartment block and quite a lot is in one apartment you know to keep that kind of you know level of you um, intensity to do the film. It's not running around everywhere. I mean, it does obviously have various locations, but for the large part, this film is happening in a small space, isn't it?
2: Well, actually, you're right. It is. It's happening in one one flat. But what was good was we shot it in a, a mansion, mansion block in Victoria. Right. And those blocks actually had very large flats. I mean, I think that was like a six-room flat or something, six or seven rooms, Mm. so that there was enough uh, and a long, long corridor, which we used many times, right? We used it for the tank, the kid's tank that goes along and tries to shoot the guy. Uh, We used it for the panther. Uh, We used it for some dialogue scenes. And there were enough rooms that you didn't feel like you were in one place and it got boring there was enough variety in all those rooms mm. plus um we cast Mariam Dabo as the nanny yeah um you know I, I think the film has a kind of a french feel in the scenes with her and her boyfriend i mean there's nudity uh they're obviously having sex all the time and the kid wonders where she is and you know i mean there's a kind of um, uh, it's a, you know it's a, it's quite a nice little uh, little thing and then she, of course she gets Eventually involved mm. and is uh, is stuck up on this um, horrible cocoon, producing the eggs for the next generation of aliens.
1: No, it is. It's, it's, it's yeah, you're right. Actually, it, it sort of introduces a kind of like a, amongst the absurdity of what's going on. The the uh, the Mariam element is like is before she gets sort of captured by the kid, as it were, is is like a naughtier side, isn't it? In, in yeah. terms of, in terms of the like you say the soap opera between. A dad that's arrived, um, and 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 a nanny that's working in a house. Obviously, it's sort of like it's almost like pushing the alien story out to the edges until it has to come in. Um, so, what do you what do you, is is it, is it easy to recall maybe what were some of the what what were what, what do you remember as being a, a, one of the biggest challenges to, to producing the film for you?
2: Um, well, one of the biggest challenges was to try and film a bloody black panther. You know, in a in a, a, a relatively, you know, small space. I mean, uh, we had to stick the camera team, you know, behind bars and fences in order to shoot it. Really? Yeah, because, you know, it, it, in the the owner or the trainer was in a room with it and let it out. And then it came down the corridor. And then the crew had to be behind these gates and fences. Otherwise, you know, it would attack them. So... Everyone was a little nervous of what was going to happen. Um, I mean, this was a, an idea that Bob Shea said, no, no, you've got to have a Black Panther in the film at the end. And, and this is what, you know. So Harry said, OK, well, if, if, if our executive producer says we should have it, we'll have it. We had no idea why it was there. <laughs> and I, I think still to this day, there is no reason why it's there. But it, it just brings out the weirdness of what's going on in this apartment that in effect, kind of anything can happen.
1: Well, I guess it's it's the, I think it's the icing on the weird cake, the the, the Black Panther. I think that's the best way for me to describe it.
2: Yeah, yeah. So uh, otherwise, um, Harry was very, um, very disciplined. He's a real craftsman. Mm. And he, uh, you know, he kept to schedule and budget. And, uh, you know, we managed to make uh, everyday uh, work with some overtime, but not unbelievable. And uh, it wasn't, a huge budget, but it wasn't tiny either. So we had enough to to really do everything we wanted. Uh, I think the locations were very well chosen. I've always been impressed by the scene when uh, he comes back uh, at, um, that was shot at uh, uh, um, Holland Park. It was the Holland Theater, the the outside theater. And I thought Harry used that location really well when he, you know, reveals himself back to his wife. Uh, you know, so I, I, I really felt Harry was a very, very good filmmaker. And uh, in fact, we decided to make a, a new version of Extro, hmm. uh, which I hope we're going to shoot uh, next year. Really? Uh, yeah, in in Los Angeles because Harry lives out there these days. Right. And uh, it's called Extro: The Big One. And it's about an alien invasion which takes place during the uh, L.A. earthquake, the big one that they're waiting for. And in fact, the earthquake is caused by the alien invasion. And uh, we're following a group of uh, teens who are trying to get from their school, which is destroyed by the earthquake, to a meeting place with their families. And all kinds of weird things happen to them along the way. So uh, we're, we're trying to get that going um, for next year.
1: So, what's so are the plans to shoot that 2019?
2: Yeah, yeah, we've got a script. Yeah. Uh, we're just really raising money and trying to work out if we've got all the right elements into the film. Because what we what we realized was that, um, as far as I know, there are only uh, two aliens, uh, you know, in, in film history who actually have a name. There's ET and there's extra. All the rest of them are always just aliens. So, I've been trying to talk to Harry about um, bringing Extra back into the film uh, as, as a creature.
1: Mm.
2: Uh, obviously, it, it would become a, a CGI creature with motion capture and stuff like that. But mm. nonetheless, I think uh, we should keep the, um, the tradition going of a creature with a name who has an identity. Uh, and, and that's one of our current, current discussions.
1: Wow, that's really exciting, Mark. That's really exciting. I think it's uh, safe to say best to look best to look uh, getting it ready, and then we can we can see that fourth inst- fourth installment, I suppose. But obviously, I guess officially, this would that be officially a second installment, or would that be considered? A well, fourth?
2: it would have to be number four because yeah. there is you know, extra two and three, but mm. uh, but it's a completely different uh, version. Uh, although, as I say, I'd like to see extra make an appearance in that. You see and extra 2 and extra 3 there was no extra there was no creature oh, okay okay uh, so this would bring a creature back and i think that would make a uh, a really nice um, you know way of maybe finishing off the uh, <laughs> the character
1: well look you created the horror icon i think you can uh, you can play with it for, to get the best out of it for your film <laughs> okay uh, well look let's remind people then so so extra was going to be available on a 35 anniversary blu-ray from when
2: uh, July the 2nd, the Blu ray is, is done in uh, a very um, interesting uh, way, technically, mm-hmm. in that it doesn't have a lot of discs, but on each disc, uh, there are several versions. So there's the version uh, with the ending mm-hmm. uh, that we originally did. There's the version with the new ending from New Line. Mm-hmm. There mm-hmm. is the music score. <clears throat> there's the trailer there's uh, all these new featurettes which uh, Second Sight, who a distributor, have made. There's yeah. a, an hour-long featurette about the film. There's a shorter one with Dennis Atherton, the number one fan, talking okay. about it. And there's one that goes over the old Extra 2 and 3 and adds some test footage that we've been shooting on the new Extra, Extra the big one. Mm. So it's really... It's, I think also there's this interview with, with Harry that's, that was on YouTube for many, many years where he's talking about Extra, uh, extra two and three. So, I think it's going to be the most comprehensive uh, collector's item uh, that there could ever be.
1: Brilliant! And and then obviously for those people in London, I mean, I know, I mean, I know that your uh, your cigarette burn screening is already sold out for the fourth of June. So, sorry oh about, good. excellent. Sorry, sorry about that, the audience. So you'd be excited. So then you've got a full house for that screening. and then, And you say there's, a, it'll be too late for this podcast, but there's, there'll have been a fright fest screening by the time this goes live. Yeah, um, is there other screenings planned? You know.
2: Well, I think they're going to try. They're mm. going to try. Um, I, I know that uh, there are a number of, of independent cinemas around the country who would show it, mm. so I suspect it will it will turn up. Yeah,
1: brilliant. Well, look, best of luck with the uh, with the film that keeps on living.
2: <laughs> Thank you, Stuart. <laughs> and thanks for your time on the podcast. Great. Thanks very much. Enjoyed it.
1: The Britflix podcast is provided absolutely free. If you want to help me get the podcast out to more people, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. Or if you want to help me out directly, there's a link in the show notes to my Patreon page. All contributions are welcome. And the music is by Chris Reed of thecomposers.tv. <laughs>